Amen. Thank you, Jamie. Good morning, Grace Hill. How is everyone this morning? Good. It's good to see everyone. I feel like these lights are extra bright this morning, or maybe it's just me and not enough coffee, but it's good to see everyone. I'm glad you're here, and I'm excited to jump into Genesis chapter 1 with you this morning. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that to Genesis 1. That is the very first chapter of the Bible. So if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it should be easy for you uh, to get over there. And if you have a Bible app on your phone, you can use that. That is completely fine. And we'll also have the screen, I'm sorry, the words on the screen behind me, uh, as always. Um, Last week, we began a new sermon series, long sermon series that's going to take us through probably up to Christmas. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, but this is a sermon series called King Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to work through the Bible and we're going to pick up some major themes in the Bible cover to cover to really figure out what does it actually mean to follow Jesus uh, today in this life. And so last week, we talked about the importance of the church, God's people, being a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. That the church would be people who have answers to the questions that humanity longs to have. Questions like, who are we? What is this place? What is our purpose? Why are we here? Is, is this all There is. And because we as followers of Christ know the story, our story as humanity, God's story, because we have answers to these questions, we have hope. Meaning we can be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. We can love our neighbors with truth and hope. And so the whole point of this sermon series is for us to do a comprehensive study of that story, our story, God's story, and be very clear and very bold as to how that story should impact the way that we live our lives. And so here's, here's what we're going to do. Uh, over the course of the first two chapters of this sermon series, if you remember from last week, we said this sermon series we divide into four chapters, each comprising of several sermons. And over the first two chapters, We're going to be in the Old Testament and in the Gospels together. What we're going to do is we're going to build a theology. Now, don't let that word scare you. Theology just means a study of God. What do we know about God? And so what I want us to do is form a simple, memorable theology of who God is and who we are. And then when we hit the third chapter of this series... We're going to begin to talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus today? And so what we're going to do is take that theology that we built and we're going to apply it to our lives. And so we're going to talk about some very specific, practical topics and situations and go, okay, how how does this theology impact the way that I view this or the way I live my life in this? And so we could grab things like, uh, how should I view my relationships, uh, my friendships, my marriage, my singleness, dating? How should I view money? How should I view sexuality or work or mental illness or politics? Whatever the topic is, whatever the situation is, say, okay, knowing 
this theology that we just built, how should I view these things? That's what we're going to do in that third chapter. Because here's the deal. This sermon series would be completely pointless. And theology would be completely pointless if it didn't help us to understand how we should live our lives and what it means about God and how we should relate to God and how that impacts us in every single place in our lives. And so that's the plan. And so this morning, we start at the very beginning of the story. And here's what I want every single one of us to take away from what we're gonna talk about today, all right? This is the first statement in the theology that we are gonna build together, okay? Here it is. In love, God created me to not be the center of my story. That's the first statement in our theology, okay? And I want us to say it together. So say it out loud with me, ready? In love, God created me to not be the center of my story. Because God loves you, he intentionally created you to not be the lead actor in your story. And if there was a statement that our culture would categorically and philosophically reject, it would be that statement. We live in a culture today that says that your pathway to a better life and to more joy is found in you. Uh, Mark Sayers in his book, Disappearing Church, he, he says this. He says that our culture is always preaching to us that the great quest of life is to discover who you really are, to ignore what those around you say, break past the barriers and definitions and rules placed around you and flout any external authority to look inside Find your true self and self-create. And anyone who would suggest that that potential is not in you, they are hateful, they are ignorant, they, they are a contagion that needs to be eradicated from society. And at Grace Hill, we have an unapologetic vision to be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus because we believe that your joy is found in Jesus and not in yourself. And in love, God created you to not be the center of your story. In love, God created you to not be the most important part of your story. And we love you enough to preach that. And so I want to unpack that this morning. What, is, what does that mean? Because this is going to be a fundamental truth that's going to weave itself throughout this entire series and really through the entire Bible. And so with that said, let's make our way over the first chapter of the first book of the Bible in Genesis. First verse of the Bible starts with three words. In the beginning, God created and you're like, wait, wait, that's five. And that's three in Hebrew. It's three in Hebrew, all right? In the beginning, God created, right? The, the story begins with God. And we're going to see that the story will always be about God. He will always be the center, and he will always be the point. And I want us to see that that's really good news to us this morning. 
that, that God is at the center of his story, that it's God's world, and he loves us enough to allow us to have a significant part to play in it. And so as we study part of this first chapter of, of God's story, there are, there are three questions we need to get out of Genesis 1 this morning. Uh, those questions are, who, who are we in God's story? What does God want us to do in his story? And the third question we need to answer is, why did God create? Why did God create us, right? These are fundamental questions of life. Who, what, and why? Who are we? What does God want us to do? And why are we even here? Those are the questions that we're going to tackle. And so let's jump over to question number one. Who are we in God's story? Now, the first 25 verses of Genesis chapter 1 a detail for us the first five days of creation. Uh, the Bible tells us that simply by speaking a word, God sparked the universe in existence. So just what do we learn about God from this? Right, that everything in creation from galaxies that contain 100,000 million stars to protons, neutrons, and electrons holding matter together as we know it, that was designed and engineered and calculated in an instant. That everything that we would call beautiful, from a, a lush forest to an orange sunset to constellations in the sky, they were created and brought to life in God's imagination. He came up with it. And so from the first verses of the Bible, we are presented with a God who is so vast, so creative and artistic, so powerful and authoritative that he speaks and life and beauty just emerge. We are presented with a God who is clearly at the center and the origin of all creation. In the first 25 verses of chapter one, what they do is they describe the first five days of creation and that's God creating the world as we know it, the earth as we know it. It comes into existence. And after five days of creation, God had declared over his creation at five different times that this is good. It's a masterpiece. And so in verse 26, we read about the sixth day of creation where God creates us, humanity. And that's where I want us to jump into the text together this morning, starting here in verse 26. So let's read Genesis 1, 26 and 27 together. It says this, Then God said, this is the sixth day of creation, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So here in this text, we get a very clear answer to who we are, that question that we're trying to ask. The text says that God created humanity in his own image image. All right, we are image bearers of God. Every single human being is an image bearer. 
right? It does not matter your gender, your ethnicity, your social or economic status, mental capacity, physical ability, your age, your talent. It it does not matter. Every single person from the strongest of us to the weakest of us is an image bearer of God. Every single one of us is an image bearer of God. There's, There's no one who is more of an image bearer and there's no one who's less of an image bearer. All the same, it's the most basic and simple definition of who we are. But what does that even mean, to bear the image of God? Well, the word here used in Genesis, the Hebrew word for image here is the word selim, which refers to an image or a resemblance of something. So in the ancient Near East, right, that's the cultural context of the Old Testament, what would happen is you would have these kings And they would view themselves as the image of a deity, right? And they got their power and they got their authority over their kingdom from some deity. And then what they would do is they would make these statues that resembled them and they'd put them throughout the kingdom as a reminder of their authority, of their power over that kingdom. And these statues, these idols that they would place around were called selim. So in in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, God says, I am going to make Selim of myself. Mankind will bear my image. They will be my representatives in this new creation. They will rule over creation on my behalf. I will delegate authority to them in order for them to represent me, rule over my creation under my leadership. All right, so in order for mankind then to properly bear the image of God as to sell them to represent God, mankind's gonna need some attributes that the rest of creation doesn't have, some attributes that actually God has. And so God creates humanity to not just be physical beings like the rest of creation, he creates humanity to also be spiritual beings. I love how the ESV Study Bible puts it in their note. They say some of the ways in which humans resemble God are the characteristics of reason, morality, language, a capacity for relationships, and creativity in all forms of art. Okay, so so let that sink in, right? This is who you are. This is your identity. This is the identity of every single person that you pass on the street. Every single person you see in the grocery store, your neighbors, your coworkers, Every single human, this is them. They are image bearers of God, designed to represent God. So in every sphere of influence that you have, in every relationship, every talent, every vocation, responsibility you have, God has delegated authority, and check this out, ability to you to represent him. Because God created you not to be the center of your story. He created you for God to be the center of your story. That your purpose would be to represent God. And so this obviously gets to our second question. Question two is, what does God want us to do in his story? And we know what he wants us to do. He wants us to represent him, but what does that look like? How how do we do that? So let's read verses 28 to 30 in our text together. Genesis 1, 28 to 30, and God blessed them, this is male and female, humanity, and God said to them, be fruitful 
and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that lives and moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. So here's how we represent God. Here's how we bear his image. First, it says, be fruitful and multiply. Right? Have children. Increase the amount of representatives and image bearers across the face of the earth. And then God says that he wants all of those image bearers to collectively subdue the earth and have dominion over the creation. And so let me help us understand what God means here uh, because this, this is interesting. It's an interesting word here that Genesis uses, this word subdue. Because this word is mostly used in Scripture in a negative way. Um, so the, the Hebrew word here for subdue is the word uh, kabosh. And it essentially means to exert your authority on something or someone in order to get something from that person or from that thing. All right, To exert your authority, your will upon something or to someone. And so when this word is used in a negative sense, it means to rape to oppress, to enslave. But when this word is used in a positive sense, mostly it's used as uh, to squeeze, to massage, to knead. All right, so if you think about squeezing a lime, right, you cut a lime to get juice out of it and you squeeze it, you're subduing the lime to get juice from it. Or when you're kneading dough, you're subduing the dough in order to get it ready to bake. You're exerting your power and your authority on whatever it is that you're subduing. That's what subdue means. So God tells his image bearers to subdue the earth, to work the earth and get something out of it. Now, I believe part of what this means is that God created the earth with resources and potential so that his image bearers could research and discover, build technology, advance in scientific knowledge, create art and culture, and, and things like that, right? I think that's part of what this means. But this command to subdue the earth and to have dominion over the creation, it's, it's just interesting here. Because whether the word subdue is used in a positive or negative sense, in order to subdue something, I want you to understand this, you have to have a will, and you have to have power to exert that will if you want to subdue something. You have to have a free will and power to exert it. So if you think about squeezing a lime, you know, if you want to subdue it and squeeze it, you have to be stronger than it. You have to have the will to want to get that juice out of it so to squeeze it. If you think about this term in a negative sense, this idea of enslaving someone, right? If you're going to negatively subdue a person, you have to be stronger than that person and you have to have the will to then subdue them, to get something from them that you want. And so God commands us, subdue the earth 
And so, so therefore he gives us a free will to have dominion over all the creation and the power, the strength, and the authority to be able to subdue the creation. All right, you hanging with this? He gives us a free will and then the authority and power to do something with that. So think about that. Think about the freedom and the strength that God has given his image bearers. And he says, I want you to use this freedom, use this strength, this authority that I've given you and represent me with it. I want you to use your intellect and your emotions and your spirit and your language and your mind and your reasoning ability and your talents, your personality, everything that makes you unique. I want you to use those things to represent me. In love, I created you to not be the center of your story, but for me to be the center. See, God creates a kingdom where he's king, he's the center, and his people are his image bearers who use their freedom and their power, look at this, to voluntarily represent him. That's his kingdom. It was paradise place where there was no pain or death or depression or anxiety or relational strife. God, humanity, and the creation all in perfect relationship with one another. And so in Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, God takes a step back and looks at everything that he creates and he says, this is very good. This is very good. And it makes you wonder what would happen if mankind decided to use their freedom and their power for another purpose than to bear the image of God? And we're gonna talk about that next week. But this all leads to our most important question this morning. Why? Why? Why did God create? Why this? Why us? Why this purpose? And the reason why this is the most important question is because we must understand God's motivation behind creating. Why are we here? Because if God has called us to be his representatives on earth, our motivation for how we use our freedom and we use our strength must match God's motivation for everything that he does. Our motivation for how we subdue the earth must accurately represent God. And so we need to know, God, why are we here? Why did God create? That's question number three. And now we don't get a direct answer to this question in Genesis chapter one, but we do get a very clear answer in the Bible. Because the Bible actually gives us a perfect example of the image of God. Okay, how do I bear the image of God? I need to know how to do that. We get a perfect example of the image of God. Actually, the Bible gives us what it says is an exact imprint of God's nature. Something that we can look at, like a blueprint, that's an exact imprint of God's nature. So if we want to know what it looks like to bear God's image, to represent God, and to do that with the same heart and the same motivation as God, we have a perfect example of to look at, all right? You want that example? Let me throw some Bible at you. Hebrews chapter one, verses one to three, says long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, talking about the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Look at this. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, 
through whom also he created the world, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What is God like? The exact imprint of God's nature is Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 and 16. He, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. What's the perfect image of God look at? Look at Jesus. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All right, so if we look at Jesus, we get a perfect example of who God is and what God's motivation is behind everything that he does because Jesus is the perfect image of God. And so the Apostle John helps us a lot here because what the Apostle John does is he looks at Jesus and he says, okay, here's the perfect example of God, the perfect image of God, and then he's able to declare something about God to us in his letter in 1 John. Look at this, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So you wanna know who God is, what his motivation is for anything that he does? John says, God is love. How does John know that? Verse nine, God's love was revealed among us. I know this because in this way, God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, right? No one has seen God, but if you wanna bear his image, you wanna resemble, represent God, love one another. That's what John is saying. God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. So, so John looked at Jesus and he saw that even though that we betrayed God, and sinned against him, and we're gonna explain what that means next week, God sent Jesus to give of himself for us. And that the definition of love is this idea of giving yourself for another. And so John looks at Jesus and what Jesus did to love us, this is the exact imprint of God's nature, and he declares, God is love. Everything God does, his motivation is, is love including creating the world, and including creating you. So if we go back to Genesis 1, knowing that this is who God is, this is his motivation for everything that he does, we actually see some clues of God's love. Did you notice back in verse 26 in Genesis 1, it referred to God in the plural? Did you notice that? It said, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Well, we know God is one. The Old Testament is very clear about that. God, who are you talking to? Are you talking to yourself? Do you, do you see yourself in plurality? Well, well, yes, he does. Did you pick this up in Hebrews 1? 
When we read about Jesus and it said it was Jesus Christ by and through whom everything was created? Did you pick it up in Colossians 1 when it said it was Jesus Christ by and whom everything was created? See, the Bible sees God as one, but existing in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. A holy trinity that all was present at the creation of the world. And and this is really important. Because it wasn't out of loneliness that God decided to create. It wasn't because God needed us. It wasn't that God was empty inside and he needed more people to relate with him. That's not the reason. God was fully satisfied in his relationship within the Godhead. It wasn't because God was on some power trip and needed to flex his muscle and have some minions to rule over. God created us out of love. God the Father was so satisfied in the joy that he had with God the Son and God the Spirit that he wanted to share it with others. And so he created others to share it with. I want more and more people to experience this joy. I want to give of myself so that others can get in on this. And so we see this when Jesus prays to God the Father in John 17. In John 17, it's a few, it's very close to when Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's praying to God for the church. And he's praying for his disciples. And look at what Jesus prays. John 17, verses 22 to 23. Jesus is praying to God and he says, God, I have given them, my church, my followers, I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Father, I'm here so that they can experience the unity that that we experience. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me, right? I'm, I'm here so that they can experience the same kind of love that we have for one another. God wants us to experience the joy, the oneness, the glory that he has within the Trinity. That's why he created us. Love was his motivation. Not power, not loneliness. And if love was God's motivation for creating us, then the way that we represent God is we love. The way we represent God as we subdue the earth, exert our authority on the earth as we love. The way we relate to God, to other people and to creation as we we love, we take all of the freedom that we have, all of the authority that we have, all of the power that we have that God has given us and we use it not for ourselves but for others that they may thrive. That's how we represent God. And so remember this theology we're building. We said in the beginning that that in love, God created me to not be the center of my story. Because God is the center of our story. And our purpose is to represent and point to him in everything that we do. We were not designed to be the center of our lives. 
That is not part of who we are. And in love, God created us to represent him as we rule over creation. And look at this, because God is love, at the center of his motivation to create us is our joy. Because God is love, this is who he is, this is his motivation for everything that he does, at the center of his motivation for how he created us, how he designed us, the purpose that he gave us is our joy. Which means that our joy is found in God being the center of our story. Our joy is found in bearing his image and being his representatives on earth. God would not be love if he created us for a purpose that did not result in our joy. So what should that look like for us today? What this means is that there is not one millimeter of your life where you do not bear the image of God. There is not one relationship where you have not been given the purpose of representing God in that relationship, displaying and showing the love of God in that relationship. In everything, this does not, this touches everything, your work, your money, your sexuality, your leisure, your home, your marriage, your singleness, your art, your skills, everything, your purpose is to bear the image of God, represent him. It's not to create your own story. It's not to make something of yourself. It's all about God. And the way that you do that is you see everything that you have. You see your freedom. You see your authority. You see your ability. Everything that you have as a tool to love God and love others. To put God, to put others before yourself. You best represent God when you voluntarily lay down your rights and your desires and your needs for God and others. And look at this, the secret of creation, the secret of God's kingdom is that it's when you put yourself last, that's where your joy is found. That's where the good life is. It's something that our world screams at us is a big lie. Don't do that. That's the secret of the kingdom. It is good news that in love, God created us not to be the center of our story. And next Sunday, we're gonna learn about what happened to creation when mankind decided they wanted to be the center of the story. But that's for next week. This morning, I just want us to sit in this reality. What does it mean for me to represent the love of God in every sphere of my life? Let me pray for us in that. Father, I know that this truth that we're talking about this morning is a truth that runs completely counter to the culture that we live in. There's something inside of us that wants to reject this idea that I am the most important person in my life.
God, I pray that as we enter into this series and we begin to reflect and meditate on these truths, that God, you would slowly but surely in our hearts, by your spirit, reveal to us the ways of your kingdom and how the ways of your kingdom run completely counter to the ways of this world. And that if we're going to truly study the ways of your kingdom and we're gonna study your story and why you created us and where our joy is found, we are going to come upon topics and parts of our lives and beliefs that we have that, Lord, we are, we are not gonna want those to be challenged. There's gonna be areas of our life that we are not gonna wanna give up. But Lord, I just pray in this series that you would show us that true joy, that the the good life is is found in submitting to you as our king. A king, Lord, who we saw today is the very definition of love. A king who can be trusted. A king who rules perfectly. A king that we can entrust our entire lives to. And so God, help us to do that. I pray in this series that, Lord, for every single one of us, there would be areas of our life that we say, God, it's now time to give this over to you. And that you would grow all of us in our faith, in our trust of you. You would root sin out of our lives. But Lord, most of all, you would just increase our joy as we trust you more and more. Help us with that, Father. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.